When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the gates and ready to go hot mic with honey withrow is underway on this friday edition football weekend edition of hot mic on outkick and the outkick network glad you're with us there whether that's on the youtube live stream by searching outkick and subscribing to our channel or listening to this great radio partner a jam-packed show will preview all of the big games on both the college and nfl level and uh, that comes in many different forms we've got our own thoughts and opinions and analysis. Todd Furman joins us in 20 minutes, the host of Bet the Board and his great podcast. He hops in to tell us how to win with our wagering over the weekend. Michael Fabiano uh, tells us from the fantasy football angle, he is the expert when it comes to that with Sports Illustrated. And Andy Staples in an hour uh, hits all of the big topics. He's the insider for On3, for college football, from Tennessee and Florida to Michigan State now without Mel Tucker at the realm, at the at the helm rather. And I mean, we'll see how they do against number eight Washington tomorrow. Uh, Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Andy Staples played at Florida also, so knows a thing or two about this rivalry game. Uh, one that you're not accustomed to seeing Tennessee favored in the swamp. No. Uh, especially close to a touchdown. No one's got, buying it either. It's got Tennessee fans nervous, but also thinking probably the better team going into this game. Um, I, don't, I don't know. We'll get into it with Andy. I don't know how much we can say we truly know about these two teams as of right now. And I, I'm saying that for both of them. There, there's some stats. We'll get into my games of the week a little bit later. Yeah, that's an hour three. There's some odd stats coming out of that Florida-Utah game that – if you read it one way, you think, man, Florida may be worse than we even thought. And if you read them another way, you can look at certain things and say, well, they're not that bad. And Graham Mertz has actually been pretty good so far. So maybe Florida's not as bad and maybe you know Tennessee's not as good as people thought coming into the year. So we'll know a lot more tomorrow night around 10 o'clock Central Time when this game's over. But plenty to talk about with Andy Staples, not just Tennessee, Florida, but a full slate of games Colorado, yeah. Colorado State, the Deion Sanders show. Coach Interesting Prime games at noon Eastern. Continues. There's a lot of good stuff out there to get into. Uh, plenty of headlines as well. That's where uh, we head now to the Scorch Earth topics here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow on Outkick. Chad, we start with Thursday night football. Man, uh, the, the NFL was scorched from football fans tuning in to Thursday night football on Amazon Prime for that first half with the turnovers and the punts, the three and outs the sloppy play and then they finally pick some some things up scoring wise in the second half but philly leaves with a victory they're now 2-0 and they have not played their best football meanwhile minnesota continues to have issues all of the issues there's not one thing to point to they just have so many problems it's hard to keep count they're 0-2 to begin the year yeah sloppy game uh, I thought Al Michaels was a tad bit more energetic throughout the game. That was one thing I was noticing to see if the energy level was back up. <laughs> and uh, he made 
He made one big gaffe people are talking about, but it's understandable. He called it Veterans Stadium last night when they came back from break, uh, which it has not been Veterans Stadium since I think 2002 or 2003. Yeah. Uh, but he went back into a, a bit of a time capsule there, but that's understandable. Um, Sometimes we all want to do that. The only thing Minnesota <laughs> – yeah, no doubt. I'm sure we'd all pay the uh, premium price to be able to do that <laughs> with some of the Monthly headlines out there. Um, I, the only thing Minnesota has is – Justin Jefferson is just out of this world good. I mean, you can just throw it in his vicinity, and there can be two guys around him, and he finds a way to come up with the football. And Kirk Cousins is a big part of that. He does a good job of fitting it into small spaces where only he can catch it. He and Jefferson torched but, Philly. I mean, when I say only he can catch it, I'm convinced that Justin Jefferson is the only human who could catch some of these footballs, <laughs> and fair. he makes it look easy. And he is well covered at times. I mean, it's it's impressive to watch those two, but that's really all they have right now. And well, that last year, that's all they needed. Yeah, and they don't have to win a bunch of close games. Yeah. So the difference last year, they had three total or three different players that lost fumbles all season. Last night, they had four different players to lose a fumble. That's the difference in losing close games versus winning them. Winning 11 one-score games a year ago, and now they're losing two in a row. And one to Tampa, which will come back to bite them in terms of the wild-card hunt that they're likely in. I still think they're good, but they're just not great. They're not the 12-win team we saw last season, that's for sure. No, and how about Philly fans into the first quarter booing their own team? In that game last night, after after a three and out, I mean, I, I know hey. I know Philly goes hard, but even I was thinking that that's some quick boo birds right there. And it was like a tie game, or Philly was ahead at that point, very early in the game, and the boo birds were out. Justin Jefferson, the first player to achieve five thousand yards receiving in quick form and fashion, his dominance is still understated. Had he had 2,000 yards and became the first player to have a 2,000-yard receiving season, he's in the MVP discussion and likely gets some, some voters on his side in a big way. He tailed off towards the end of last season. Tyreek Hill's already stated that's his goal this year, by the way, 2,000 yards. He's they off have, to a good start. They have the extra game oh. as well. But the, the role that he's on and knowing that – the second half of last week didn't meet with what he did in the first half, which was dominant. All you have to do is feed him the football, and he's going to put up yards. And the race is on between him and Tyreek Hill to become the first player to 2,000. I, I really believe, Hutton, he is the one player, one receiver in all of sports that is given more credit than the quarterback is in the offense. Yeah. He is the only guy that I can pinpoint and say – the only reason, and this is a, a train of thought, the only reason Kirk Cousins is seen as good is because of Justin Jefferson's greatness. Every other scenario, it's flipped. It's this quarterback makes this receiver better. Yeah. And boy, it's great for this receiver to have this quarterback. That's not the case with Cousins and Jefferson. Well, and it, last year I was doing the column on the MVP debate and the, the, the chase and the competition. Jefferson has mentioned more than just Offensive Player of the Year. He won that a year ago. Now he can put himself into MVP. The difference, though, is they've got to win. He can't just put up numbers and not be on the winning side. Last year they were, and they were on more televisions than not a year ago. And if they continue on this trend, by the way, I believe they play the Chargers next week, a 
potential 0-3 start, that's crippling for a, a franchise that should be. There are uh, columnists that are now saying if they lose next week, Kirk Cousins could be traded to the New York Jets. He's in the Ooh, final be, year of his deal. That would be something. Um, that would definitely be an upgrade for the Jets at, at I mean, quarterback. Based that, on that's, that's what interesting their expectations are. Yeah, and, and I mean, you could have Chargers and Vikings looking at 0-3 going into next yes. week, which is, is crazy. Could. And also, I mean, which, which team is it more important for? I, I would say Vikings, but it's pretty disappointing for both given some preseason expectations yeah. and quarterback situations and in would, both spots. It, I, I'm with you on that because it depends on what the Chiefs do in Jacksonville. If they start 0-2, then the Chargers are thinking, we're still in this. We're not following the 2-0 Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Chad, the uh, worst rule in sports, I don't know if you agree, but the fumble through the end zone for a touchback instead of getting the football deep in the territory where it would be if it's fumbled anywhere else out of bounds or recovered by the opponent. Jefferson fumbles at the one. The game is 10-7 at this point. Would have been, uh, yeah, would have been 14-10. And Philly gets the touchback and the football back instead of backed up against the end zone. And the way that game was being played at the time, sloppy, um, there would have been mo more Boo Birds out in Philadelphia based on that possession than what there were after the first. It's definitely the most punitive of rules in football. It doesn't football. the play. Yeah, because, it, well, it's, it, it's so arbitrary. Because if you fumble it going towards the goal line on the sideline and it goes out at the one-foot line, right. you have the ball. And you're about to score at the one-foot line. But because it goes a little bit further, when it leaves you your hands, it. suddenly it's the other team's ball out of bounds, out of the end zone, and on the 20-yard line. I've never liked the rule. And that was a big moment for the Vikings in this game. And they still fought and had a chance late. I know it was an onside kick. But they gave themselves chances in, uh, in the second half. That, that was a big moment in the game when that happened. Well, and then think about just from the uh, defensive standpoint, too. You know, you, you, even if you want to give the football to the other team, they shouldn't get the touchback on that. You know, like, it, it can be punitive – but it shouldn't be where Philadelphia takes over and it's no big deal based on their field position. And, I mean, the game would have been much better too. Uh, worst rule, I'm pointing to that. Unless you want to point to, is it a forward pass or a fumble? Incomplete or a fumble? Which we've seen multiple times recently uh, with uh, the Titans. AFC South Championship could have been on the line a title there, plus a week one win, potentially. Yeah, I, I, that's another bad rule because it's inconsistent. One was incomplete, one was a fumble, and they're the same play. I, I don't. Uh, what kills me is at times when even it, the 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 idea of the officials letting a play play out and not ruling something down. Yeah, is a problem when the you clearly you're watching. I think that's a fumble, but they're blowing the whistle, stopping the play, and there's a return happening for a touchdown the other way. I I, I hate when that goes down. I I hate when it's pretty clear. This happens more in college than NFL. But pretty clear something is what everyone thought it was upon review, and they say there's not enough evidence to overturn it. And I just think to yourself, really? Are you watching the same thing? That's what gets me every time. Chad, um, A.J. Brown speaks his mind. Jalen Hurts also says that he and uh, A.J. are great friends. They were working out uh, prior to the trade. 
that sent him packing from Nashville to Philadelphia, AJ was working uh, privately with Jalen Hurts. They are the best of friends. Not last night on the sidelines. Uh, with uh, AJ frustrated on the sideline with his quarterback, Hurts responded. You can see, and then you have uh, the coaching staff come over and acknowledge and try to break things up and separate them. Uh, no shoving, just arguing. AJ wants the football. He was actually targeted the most in the game by any Philadelphia receiver. Six targets. He only had about 20-plus yards receiving. But he's, he's a star. So is Hurts. And I don't mind friction on the sideline when things are not off to a good start. They were not good a week ago in New England. That's why Philly fans are upset and frustrated. The players are, too because they're not picking up where they left off from what was a dominant offense a year ago, at least in the passing game. Well, they're a big, back a and big running. part of their success last year, not just A.J. Brown on the field having a great season, it's his mindset. It's the mentality that he brings, that he wants the ball, especially when the, the game is at the biggest moments. And that's exactly what you want. That rubs off on, on teammates. I have no issue with this. Look, if it becomes a common uh, reoccurring thing. It won't. Where you're coming to the sideline and getting angry at your quarterback because you're not getting getting the ball, getting your love, th that's a different story. I'm with you, though, Hutton. I don't think it's going to become that because A.J. Brown won't allow it to become that, and Jalen Hurts won't allow it to become that. I also think this Eagles offense is too good to be this mediocre for that long. I think they're going to snap out of it, and it's going to start to look better. There were some flashes of that last night. There was a third down play where if A.J. Brown's coming across on a little drag route, and when you get it to him in space, just how strong of a player he is and how he can run through arm tackles, fun to watch in, in that moment. I think they're going to be fine, but a little bit of friction like this, no, no problem at all. Because that's what you when you sign A.J. Brown, you're signing up for that mentality, and you love it. There's a, more than friction from the Minnesota Vikings. Um, Alex Madison who took over for Dalvin Cook as the full-time running back, a statement from the Minnesota Vikings minutes ago. We're sickened by the hatred and racial slurs directed towards Alexander Madison following last night's game. There simply is no room for racist words or actions in sports or society. The Vikings will continue to fight to eliminate hate, to educate and foster a diverse, equitable, and inclusive community that respects and values our unique backgrounds. We stand with Alexander and all players who unfortunately experience this type of ignorant and prejudicial behavior, and we ask our fans to continue to fight to eliminate racism. These are apparently just direct messages, DMs, uh, based on others retweeting this um, to Madison postgame. So what I want to see with stories like this, a follow-up, and here's the follow-up I want. Publicize who the people are that send these. Out them. Yeah. Let their employers know who they are. I, I, I hate how we see these things and these ac accusations of someone was getting this hate and this. I want to know who did it. I want the immediate follow to be, we have located these IP addresses of people that sent these, whether it be through an anonymous account, some nameless, faceless troll on social media doing it. I want to know who's behind those. I want to know if it's a bot of some sort yeah. doing these things. I want to know all of it. Let's investigate. I'm sure the employers of these people who are idiots that are sending racist things to a, to a football player, they would like to know if they're employing someone dumb enough to do this. Out these people. Let's see it. 
I mean, we talk about a society that, that keeps receipts right now. Madison with screenshots, right? These are the receipts I want to see. Madison should turn them over to the Vikings, and then they should investigate where it's coming from. Is this an actual person's account that's sending these things? And let's find out who's actually doing it. And I want to know who did it. Uh, it with all these stories, I want I'm to know. Looking at his uh, X account plus Instagram, I don't see that he's done that yet. But he has retweeted others who are pushing the anti-hate retweets. I'm looking at I'm just scrolling through. I'm with you, Chad. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, the NFL and uh, the Vikings would certainly know because they would have had to seen this. Yeah. Right? Through Madison. But again, publicize who the people are. If it's the Vikings, if it's Madison himself, I don't care. If there's a person behind this account, let's let everyone know who this person is. Actually, I'm looking at his story now. He has, he has shared the uh, handful of these posts, and then he's commented on it himself through the story. We'll get back to this and try to dig into we'll piece it together. who they are. Yeah, Coming up... Todd Furman gives us the best wagers going into the week in college and pro. Next. Glad you're with us for Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow here on Outkick from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. If you haven't taken your shot with PointsBet, now's the perfect moment. Here's the big reason why. Exclusively for first-time PointsBet users, grab this unique offer. Right now, new PointsBet users can get up to $1,000 in second-chance bets. If your first bet doesn't go as planned, PointsBet has your back with a second chance. Get this offer by visiting outkick.com bet, outkick.com bet. Complete the registration process with PointsBet and make your first bet. If your first bet happens to lose, that's when the second-chance bets come into play. Remember, terms and conditions apply. Got to be 21 or older in legal gambling states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Head to outkick.com slash bet now to snag this offer. Um, if you just listen to this segment, you're not going to need the second chance. Todd Furman joins us, the host of Bet the Board, which is an excellent podcast to get insider info on how you should play the weekend. Todd, great to have you on, man, as always. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me, but the $100 million question before we get into some of the games this weekend, how much airbrushing went on with that picture of you guys to lead into the segment, or were you guys just completely caked with makeup to try and Both. take 10 to 12 years off your face? Both. Oh, man, it, it was, there's, I think there's some digital airbrush work going on, <laughs> as well yeah. as, I actually, I you know what it was? Can't confirm that there was a lot of makeup on us in New York it when was we had AI. that promo it was photo AI. shoot. Yeah, that's not even me, actually. Yeah. I think that was just a, a model they brought in to portray me that day. A hundred years from now, we'll be, uh, we will be claimed to be well, aliens in Mexico. What's hilarious, Todd, if you, if you continue watching, like when the show ends, you know, we're on for three hours a day. Then there's a 21-hour period where it's like a waiting room for the next show. <laughs> the photo that is shown in that one was a photo shoot done by a technician here at OutKick <laughs> yep. that was done in this studio, not professional at all, but we choose to put that one up for 21 hours, and you will see in that one there's no makeup on me. So if you want to see the real me that Todd Furman has seen, is. look at the one that's up for 21 hours where I'm in a polo shirt, no makeup, no digital airbrushing going on. That's the photo for you. This other one, that's just a, a work of fiction. Uh, I mean, Withrow, let's be honest here. That makes it a lot here. better, though. 
Yeah, you're a man of the people then. So I can understand you peeling back that exterior, no filter, showing everybody your true countenance for 21 hours a day, and you only ham it up for the three hours that you guys are actually on air. Todd, Jennifer Aniston does it, and it's brave. Right when they take the <laughs> selfie with no makeup on, when you know when when I, Gwyneth Heroic. Paltrow I think did that. It's I, I feel like I'm being brave, just showing yeah. the world my actual face. Don't get a candle like Gwyneth. Yeah, <laughs> no, no worries. Honey. Okay, Todd, um, can you explain the money and the the betting market for Colorado right now? I mean, it's unlike anything we've seen over the last handful of years, quite honestly. When you look at the buzz that Dion has brought to a non-traditional program. In Colorado, unless you're, you know, 30 some odd years old, you don't remember a day where Colorado football was relevant with Cordell Stewart and Michael Westbrook back in the 90s, where they were vying for national titles. But Dion took this team from the depths of the power five and in just two games already has him as the main flashpoint in all of college football. You look at what they did week one, winning outright on the road in Fort Worth as a 20 and a half point underdog following that up with a dominant defensive effort against Nebraska in week two. And then Jay Norvell can't leave well enough alone, deciding to poke the bear. And what otherwise probably would have been a look-ahead spot for Colorado to big dates against Oregon and USC coming up, that's where we are now. But when we talk about some of the betting volume and the attention that Colorado has had, this number here will discourage a lot of folks. They're not running to the window to lay 23 upwards of 24 points. But all of that can change when you look at the schedule that we have that doesn't offer all of that much in the way of intriguing matchups. And we know this is the infamous get-out game at 9 o'clock Central on national TV. Todd, you're a pro. You're a pro's pro. You've been at this for a while. You've done this for a while. And you've been a part of the media game for a while. Can you ever recall a bigger turn in terms of interest and questions mm. you get about a program than the lack of any questions or interest you would have from – Anyone in the public about a Colorado line of 2022 compared nowhere, to Colorado or 2023? Yeah, I mean, nowhere close. And Withrow, if you dig into some of the numbers for how bad Colorado was last year, I mean, they broke all sorts of records from points per game standpoint, yardage differential, all of the negative correlation. But I guess in the era we're in, when you completely overhaul the roster, you bring in 87 fresh faces you have the chance to do a do-over. And I'll give Dion a ton of credit because while he's bold, he's brash, he's confident, he knows what he knows. And he knew that he had to bring in an elite offensive coordinator in Sean Lewis, who was the former head coach at Kent State, to lead this offense. And defensively, he brings in Charles Kelly, which is paying immediate dividends as well. But this is a Colorado team who professional bettors, quite honestly, couldn't get enough of when it came to betting them under their win total. I mean, we saw this thing open at five and a half in January. It closed as low as three and a half before the season started. And folks know that those tickets are pretty much charitable donations to the sportsbook coffers. But I think we'll get a much better illustration of who Colorado really is. Maybe not this weekend when they have a target on their back for the Rocky Mountain Showdown, but when they step up in class and play two teams that are viable, not just Pac-12 contenders, but legitimate chances to be in the national championship discussion in USC and Oregon. Todd Furman with us, host of Bet the Board. Check out the podcast. Um, so Tennessee and Florida, unranked Florida, hosting Tennessee. We, It's a big spot for both programs, but both fan bases are skeptical about their own team here and the history behind this game and what happened last year at Neyland. Todd, Vegas doesn't look at history, right? They're just looking at what is trending right now in the moment. And even Vegas is skeptical on the Vols. At least that's how I read this. 
You know, it's been interesting to watch the way this number moved because we saw some prominent shops out here in the desert open Tennessee as a four-point road favorite. That number was immediately bet up to right around a touchdown. And once some of the offshore markets got involved, we saw that price push to seven and a half. And it got to a point where professional bettors went, you know what, this is a road too far to cross. And what we've seen now is kind of one-way traffic from that professional contingent, taking it any price of seven or better with the Gators. And to your point, when you try and put this in a historical context, you know, we have ATS data going all the way back to the mid-70s. Uh, and we have one of the best in the business in college football, a gentleman by the name of Brad Powers, who joins us every Wednesday on the Bet the Board podcast. He dug into some of that ATS history, and he never found an instance where Tennessee was this big a favorite on the road in Gainesville. And while Tennessee, to a certain extent, got the monkey off their back last year, winning that game 38-33 to against Florida, they didn't cover the closing number. There were fits and spurts where we saw this Tennessee offense look like they were stuck in neutral before they got going. And through two data points thus far with this Vols team, I think the big takeaway for me is that Ramel Keaton and Brew McCoy are nice pieces, but they're not Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman in terms of their elite ability to take the top off of a defense. Joe Milton doesn't have that same command of the offense that we saw from Hendon Hooker. And it was actually Hendon Hooker's legs last year that was an X factor that Billy Napier and company never accounted for when he went for north of 100 yards. You look at Milton, he can throw the ball a country mile. He looks the part getting off the bus. But we've seen this offense already stall out, at least for a couple of drives in each of the last two games. I mean, the red zone efficiency wasn't there against Austin P. And I really believe this Tennessee team is better at the running back position than they are at wide receiver. So let's see some of the stress they're able to put on Florida and how good that ball's defense against the Florida offense that probably wants to run the football to shorten the game. They have Ricky Pearsall in the receiving room, but Graham Mertz isn't going to put the fear of God into anybody in that Tennessee <laughs> defensive backfield. Well, and with everything you just said, Todd, I wonder how quickly it becomes the under is the smart bet with Tennessee games because they're going to get that shine of the Josh Heupel offense from a year ago. But what I've seen through two games is a much improved defense and with everything you just said with the data points, an offense that's not nearly as good as last year. Uh, exactly. And I think that's part of the reason that you have seen some under money coming in this game as well. As we sit here talking about it on a Friday afternoon, 58 and a half were cleared out of the market. We're now down in that 56, 56 and a half range. For me, I actually went under the total in the first half at 28 and a half. I mean, that number is no longer available. But my thought process was that if Tennessee starts slow, that plays into Florida's hands. They want to try and play a ball control game. They know they don't have the playmakers. And if Florida has a chance to pull off the outright upset, I think they have to win this game somewhere in the ballpark at 24, 21, 27 to 24. Because as you start to get into the 30s, I just don't see a path for Florida to be successful. Very similar to what I said, breaking down Texas and Alabama last week. And people kind of looked at me like I had three eyes. I said, if Alabama is going to be Texas, they need to do it playing a game in the twenties because they don't have the athletes. They don't have the horsepower. And the other thing for Tennessee, look, they lost, you know, their offensive coordinator and Alex Golish. He took over at USF and there sometimes can be inevitable growing pains. So if you trust that defense, You'd rather err on the side of caution and be perfectly comfortable punting, allowing Florida to go 75, 80 yards, trusting that your defense is able to make a couple of stands. Uh, and I think that's what makes this chess match so fascinating, given what this will mean in the landscape of the SEC East, where at least right now it really appears that it's Georgia and everybody else vying for that two slot. And in the final divisional matchup between Tennessee and Florida, because divisions that's are no right, more yeah. after this year, yeah. we'll see on yeah. Saturday. Michigan State hosting Washington. Uh, Washington minus 16 and a half. Uh, Todd, how, 
How weird is this game to play given all the uncertainty around a lack of a head coach and an interim coach coming in now for Michigan State? You know, these games are always interesting, and I wish I had more historical data to figure out exactly. Every time a head coach for a program uh, is under the microscope for a scandal in any context, if the team plays better in his absence or if the team goes out there, things start to get a little sideways and it just spirals out of control. What I can tell you that we've seen as far as the betting market in this one, you've seen some under money come in. This will be Washington's first true road game. And oftentimes when you can't run the football all that well, that passing game doesn't look nearly as prolific uh, out on the road, especially when you're traveling three time zones across the country. Meanwhile, for Michigan State on the other side, this probably serves as the perfect distraction. What better way than to put all that off-field stuff in the rearview mirror than to go out there and play football? And when you just look at the number here, what I think is of most interest to me we saw Washington take money against them week one against Boise State. They opened up right around a 15, 15 and a half point favorite. That number closed around two touchdowns and they just had way too much firepower. Here's Washington now going on the road, laying an even bigger number. It got to 17 this morning. You saw a little bit of money come in on Sparty. And for me, I think it's dog or pass in this particular spot. I'm very high on Michael Penix and everything that Kalen DeBoer has been able to do to turn this Washington offense into a juggernaut. And what I think can be a lower scoring game, you know, seeing a contest play out in that 31 to 20 ballpark doesn't seem like an unreasonable request, but I'm going to be very interested to see what Noah Kim looks like when he steps up in class. This isn't Central Michigan, and this ain't Richmond. He's going to be playing come Saturday afternoon. Todd Furman with us. Uh, Bet the Board is the podcast that he hosts. We've got about three minutes left, so I'm going to go rapid fire with the NFL, Todd. Uh, Week one versus week two lines. What's the adjustment like? Or typically, do you just stick with what you know about a franchise or an organization going into the season, even if it's surprising week one and the result. It's kind of a catch 22 because you don't want to overreact to one data point, but you also don't want to underreact. And when I say underreact, the Seattle Seahawks, probably the poster child for that. It was a team that went out there and laid an egg against the Rams. They were beaten up on the offensive line. They're not going to have Abraham Lucas, no Charles Cross this week. And that's the reason that you've seen the lions that would have been a three point favorite. If this was a week one matchup, open as high as five and a half, six before they're started to show a little bit of Seahawks money. But when you pick up one first down in the second half against the Rams, not a ringing endorsement for the Geno Smith experience. The Chicago Bears, another team that looked anemic offensively against the Packers. You know, that game opened at a pick. You saw immediate money coming on Tampa, but at three, you started to see an appetite for the underdog there. So it's always interesting as these teams start to figure out who they are. And I know it's an age old cliche in sports betting, and it applies a lot to the NFL. No team is ever as good or as bad as they appeared week one. So betters beware if you're buying stock at the top of the market or you're looking to sell at the bottom. How do you feel about Jacksonville hosting Kansas City this week? I think they get Kansas City at the wrong time. You get Travis Kelsey, even if he's limited there. You know, Chris Jones coming. You figure he's going to be on a snap count. But Andy Reid, with extra time to prepare, this Kansas City Chiefs receiving core was embarrassed in that second half. Kadarius Toney, most notably. You look at Mahomes, just two of 12 targeting wide receivers in the second half of that game. But I think what gets ignored, because you lose outright at home to the Lions, they held Detroit's high-powered offense to just 14 points. And when I look at Jacksonville, I have concerns along that offensive line. I don't think that defense is drastically improved. But at three and a half, you're not stealing anything. If the number got back down to a field goal, uh, I take a long, hard look at the Chiefs on the road. Last minute here. Uh, Rogers' injury changed the betting lines and futures for the Jets, that's for sure. If you're betting anything New York Jets, are you just taking the under based on the defense? 
Probably the way that you want to look at it. I'm not sure I'm willing to go under this week with a total in the high 30s against Dallas, who does have a little firepower offensively. But this Cowboys defense is arguably a top five unit. You look at what they've been able to do since Dan Quinn took over in 2021. When As far as Aaron Rodgers' absence, the betting markets responded in that six, six and a half point range. I think that may be too big a mountain to go, and there may be value betting on the Jets going forward, knowing that they were actually pretty good on offense when they had a healthy Brees Hall, even with Zach Wilson's limitations last season. What's your top play this week? If I'm looking at the NFL, it'll be the Cincinnati Bengals. I'll buy low after that Joe Burrow performance against the Cleveland Browns. Mike Tomlin, of all people, had a pretty interesting comment saying that it was the Browns' secondary when he broke down tape of that Browns-Bengals game that really made the difference there. The Ravens are banged up on the O-line. They're banged up in the defensive backfield. I'll take Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase to put up video game-like numbers. Give me the Bengals minus the field goal against the Ravens. Todd Furman is great at what he does. We just witnessed it. Todd, you're the man. Thank you. Oh, always a pleasure, gentlemen. Enjoy the games this weekend. Including his uh, photograph critiques yeah. of us. Oh, it's also absolutely great, great fair to bring that up. He nailed, he nailed that criticism. Absolutely. Go check out Bet the Board, the podcast with Todd Furman, and all of the great wagers that he will give you uh, advice on. Coming I'll go, up. I'll go put some makeup on during the break. Oh. How about that? You don't need a chat. Thank you. Michael Thank Fabiano you. is next on Hot Mind. Chad, how did you do in fantasy this past weekend for week one? Much like my gambling from this past weekend, it resulted in a big old L in fantasy football. I've got a, a fantasy dilemma I'm going to ask our, our guest about okay. uh, later on that I, I am very definitive and decide. I'm rarely this decisive in a move to bench a guy that I drafted to be the starter oh. this quickly. But I'm definitive in doing this, at least for this week. Uh, I'll okay. I'm I'll, interested. I'll, I'll ask. I'll ask our guest what he thinks. Michael Fabiano joins us, uh, the fantasy football expert for Sports Illustrated. Michael, great to have you back on, man. Hope things are well. All good, my friends. Uh, my Cowboys whipped up on the Giants, and I went twelve and three in my fantasy league. So a good week one. Twelve and three Ooh. is excellent. I, so I, there's a one of the managers here at Sixth and Peabody. Um, at our studio, he told me he was up 46 points going into Sunday night football. The, uh, his opponent had the Dallas defense. Then they went into Monday night, and he was still up something. I don't know how much. But the final kick for Buffalo, uh, off, off the upright, the 50-yarder, beat him. Yep. Oh. He lost by one. So, yeah, so th those are the worst ones to lose. Like, I'd rather lose by 100 than get beat by a couple of points, especially – uh, on a late kick on Monday Night Football. But, yeah, the, the Cowboys' defense was fantastic against the Giants uh, in some leagues scoring in excess of 30 or 40 points. And now we get Zach Wilson coming up this weekend. So, uh, as you right. can imagine, start the Cowboys' defense. Chad, um, I want to hear who you're contemplating benching. And whatever Michael tells you, you're going to do, right? Yeah, if he I, says it's stupid, I, you're going to... Absolutely. Okay. And, and we'll get into more of your, your start versus sit guys later. But this is one I want to ask you about. It is, it is involving those Cowboys you just mentioned. Hmm. Dak Prescott did nothing in that game. And he didn't have to do anything. Because his defense and his running game did everything for him. Uh, I am sitting him this week and starting Jordan Love at quarterback against the Falcons. Is, is that the right play? I, I honestly, I don't, I don't hate it. I, I don't think that you're out of line at all. 
the Jets defense is really good. They turned over Josh Allen four times. He scored nine points, which is awful for Josh Allen. Uh, Jordan Love looked really good. Uh, Christian Watson was back at a limited uh, practice on Friday, so maybe he comes back. But I got to be honest with you, I can't argue against that. I mean, Dak Prescott's a good fantasy good quarterback. He's not a great fantasy quarterback, and he is certainly not uh, a guy who's not subject to the matchups. He is. And the Jets' defense is pretty phenomenal. And I'm shocked that my idea is aligned with Michael's here. So I'm week. absolutely starting Jordan Love this week. I, I felt he, good the about man it before. Went Twelve and three. Now I feel great about it. Let's get to the uh, Fabs Five, and and this week, uh, Michael uh, with Michael Fabiano, uh, top five fantasy performances not to overreact to, good or bad. Let's just start with the bad, and at quarterback with Joe Burrow. It was terrible. Uh, three and a half points. Not not a great. I mean, every Bengal for the most part was bad. Only Joe Mixon scored more than 10 points, and he had 10.1. Mm. And you're talking about an offense with Jamar Chase and T. Higgins, who had no points. But he'll bounce back. Uh, the Ravens' defense is not great against the pass. Their secondary is vulnerable. So I think Burrow bounces back. Uh, don't worry about the stinker last week. Uh, I think he is a guy that you have to start. Dan Campbell says Jameer Gibbs is going to be unleashed moving forward. Do you buy it based on his usage in week one? I don't know what the definition of unleashed is. But David Montgomery is pretty damn good. And so when you look at the snaps and the touches from last week, it was all Montgomery. Will Gibbs see more work moving forward? I'm sure he will. And he's got a good matchup against Seattle this week, and I would play him. But he's never going to be an elite fantasy running back while sharing the workload, especially losing third down snaps to David Montgomery because of his pass protection. He's going to be a very good PPR running back, maybe an RB2. But he'll never be elite while David Montgomery is out there producing the way that he produced in week one. While Chad may be benching Dak Prescott, you're saying don't overreact to Josh Allen's performance against the Jets D. Yeah, and you know what? This kind of goes back to last year. He's turning the ball over too much. Yeah. He really, and I think he knows it. And everyone's going to think, well, he misses Brian Dayball, and that may very well be the case. He's got the Raiders this week, and the Bills are going to be a little bit salty. So, Josh Allen's not a guy that I'm even thinking about sitting. He'd have to have three or four similar games before I'm thinking something's wrong with him. Maybe I got to start playing the matchups right now. Josh Allen needs to be in your lineups. So if I had Josh Allen and not Dak Prescott, you would not tell me to start Jordan Love over him is what you're saying. Correct. Yes. Okay, yeah. Good. Josh Allen's on another Just being level. clear. Good. Uh, from the good performances, I don't, uh, there will be several fantasy football owners that will be launching these wide receivers into starting lineups because they definitely weren't starting in week one. Uh, Nakua uh, out in L.A., how do you respond based on the performance by him with Stafford? He was fantastic. No one saw that coming. Right. I mean, even Tutu Atwell had a really good game. Yeah. You know, Tutu and, and, and Puka. Uh, listen, they could sell shirts in L.A. with those guys. <laughs> uh, am I starting them against the Niners, though? I mean, I don't know about that. I think he could be chasing the points. Was he worth an ad off the waiver wire? Absolutely. He should be owned across the board right now. But the matchup's not great. And when you look at Seattle's defense, they gave it up to perimeter receivers last year, and they did it again in week one. So uh, am I surprised that he had such a big stat line? Yeah, I am. That was a lot of targets going his way, too. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Certainly worth the roster spot. Probably not more than a flex this week against the Niners. Kendrick Bourne as well. Huge game, huge game. And they've got Miami this week. And that, that's a good matchup for the Patriot wide receivers. Remember, the Patriots did not have an offensive coordinator last year. Now they have Bill O'Brien. 
Maybe that's good news for Mac Jones. I think it, it certainly wasn't bad in week one. Mac Jones had a nice game, and so did Kedrick Bourne. Do I expect this kind of production on a weekly basis? No. I mean, there was no Devontae Parker last week. Would I start Kendrick Bourne this week if he's a cheap play? Uh, potentially a guy picked up off the wire if I need help. Maybe one of my wide receivers is banged up. Jacoby Myers isn't going to play this week. Uh, he's certainly worth a look, but I think you got to temper your expectations when a wide receiver who's not really been consistently productive from a statistical perspective puts up a big number like that. You always have to temper your expectations, but at least he's worth a roster spot right now. Let's go positive now, Michael. Let's get into some guys that you would start this week. We saw Jared Goff make some big-time throws in that Thursday night football win uh, in Kansas City. Is he a guy that you're playing this week? No question. Last year, he averaged about 21 points a game at home. He was one of the three or four best home quarterbacks in fantasy football. Seattle's defense is not great against quarterbacks. We saw that last week. Stafford beat him for over 300 yards. So Goff is... I, I like to make the comparison that he, he seems to turn into Joe Montana at home and on the road, he's, I guess, more like uh, Ryan Leaf, or maybe not that bad, but you get the gist. From a fantasy perspective, he's a very tough player to start on the road at home. Go get him. Uh, start Jared Goff. DeAndre Swift last night was phenomenal. James Cook in week one, pretty good. You're starting him as well. It's all about the matchup here with the Raiders, uh, who struggled against the run. And James Cook got the majority of the snaps and the touches for uh, the Buffalo Bills last week. So he's in a good spot to succeed uh, at the running back position. Same thing with Rashad White. Now, Rashad White did not put up a great stat line, but what are we looking for in fantasy? Yeah, we want points, but we also want opportunities. We want snaps played and we want touches. And Rashad White got both. The problem was that it just didn't equate to fantasy, but it's a better matchup this week against the Bears. Uh, This is a defense that's given up 25 touchdowns and the second most points to running back since last year. Mike Williams comes to Nashville, uh, Chargers receiver uh, facing the Titans. You're starting him as well. Titans are awful against perimeter receivers. Uh, dating back to last year, no team has given up more fantasy points to that position. Uh, this is a big week for Keenan Allen. He's very obvious, but Mike Williams coming off a bad week uh, should be in a lot of starting lineups uh, for fantasy managers against, again, a very vulnerable Titans defense. And keep in mind, this is a game where Austin Eckler might not play. He didn't practice all week. And so the Chargers may be looking at throwing the ball a little bit more with their stud running back potentially out. And a great Titans run defense uh, as well. Really good against the yeah. run. Really bad against the pass. And you like David Njoku. And, and just overall, are you starting to buy that Browns offense based on what they were able to do against Cincinnati in week one? I know they didn't have to do much, only giving up the three points. But what do you think about that offense overall and Njoku in particular? I'm not saying they're going to turn into the uh, the Air Coriel Chargers from back in the 80s, but certainly it was a step in the right direction. And Watson had a good game, better game than I thought, uh, because the matchup was not great. But David Njoku, tight end is impossible to predict these days. It really is. When you look at the top 12 guys, which are the 12 best players, uh, and who would have been tight end ones, some of the, I mean, we're looking at like the Adam Trubbins of the world. It's like, how do you predict these guys doing that kind of thing? Njoku has been very good against the Steelers. Three straight games with over 12 fantasy points. So I'm going with the trend of Njoku having success uh, against Pittsburgh, and that's why I'm starting him. I'm also starting him because, well, there's just not a lot of great options at tight end. Those are the Fabs five stardoms. And to the sit-ems, uh, you already agree with Chad with Dak Prescott. Uh, and yeah. a couple of running backs as well that you're telling fantasy football owners to, uh, to sit on the bench this week. Right. Uh, Cam Akers, I was wrong about him. I think we all were last week. Sean McVay hates Cam Akers or he hates our fantasy teams or both. I don't know. Yeah. But 
Kyron Williams dominated him in snaps. Now, Akers had more touches, but he didn't do anything with him. He averaged 1.3 yards per carry. I mean, it was terrible. And it was a great matchup. And now he's got the Niners. So, no, thank you. I don't want Akers. I don't want Kyron Williams either this week. And Khalil Herbert, who I like, I'm not giving up on him yet. But I do not like the usage from last week. It was a three-headed monster. And Roshan Johnson ended up being the best Bears running back out of the trio. Uh, the Buccaneers defense also pretty tough against the run. So I would beware Khalil Herbert in that game in Tampa. Why are you sitting Terry McLaurin this week against the uh, – I forgot who they're playing all of a sudden. They're playing the Denver Broncos. And yes. I mean, that's part of the reason why the matchup's not great. I know Jacoby Myers had a good game against them last week, but uh, dating back to last year, the Broncos have been really tough on wide receivers, giving up just six touchdowns and the fourth fewest points uh, to perimeter receivers. So that concerns me about Terry McLaurin. He's he's a flex starter this week, probably. Uh, and then Kyle Pitts, geez Louise. I don't know when I'm going to be able to tell people to start him. And it's not about Kyle Pitts. The offense just throws the ball so little. And when the throws actually do make it out of the hands of their quarterbacks, whether it's Desmond Ritter or Marcus Mariota last year, they're not very accurate. Yeah. And so Kyle Pitts and Drake London both, I don't know if I can trust them against Green Bay this weekend. Uh, that Atlanta offense is going to run, 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 even if they're losing. They just keep running the ball. Curious on two players coming back from injury. Darren Waller with the Giants and Jerry Judy with the Broncos. Mm -hmm. Darren Waller should be in every lineup while he's healthy. The Cardinals are awful against tight ends, and they have been for most of the last few years. But I would say this. Darren Waller has a good game or two. I may be looking to sell high because I'm worried about that hamstring flaring up later on in the season. Uh, Jerry Judy... I'd probably sit back and wait on him this week unless I'm really desperate at wide receiver. Uh, the commander's defense is not bad. Let's put it that way. Uh, they're really good against the run. That's why I don't love Javante Williams this week. I don't really factor in the quote-unquote snap counts. I mean, we saw snap counts last week from Romeo Dobbs, two touchdowns. Uh, Brees Hall had a big game on a snap count, so I'm not really concerned about that so much. Uh, but the Broncos' offense just didn't look great to me. Uh, in week one. So uh, Judy's probably going to be a guy you're going to be starting most of the time moving forward. But if you have depth at wide receiver or maybe a running back, you can flex. Uh, I may sit him this week. So Michael, I realize it's the the best of a bad choice type situation. I'm in a 16 team league. So I drafted tight end very late <laughs> and I'm not in a great spot right now. Uh, and I'll, I'll make the, I'll make the move right here with, with you on Dalton Kincaid against Vegas or mm -hmm. Zach Ertz against the Giants at tight end. They're both projected to have right around the same amount of points. Who would you favor? You know which tight end had the most targets in the league last week? It wasn't, Zach Ertz. But I say it wasn't Dalton Kincaid because I started Zach Ertz. <laughs> Zach Ertz in his last nine games against the Giants is averaging about 18 points a game. I'm not saying he's going to do that. That was when he was with the Eagles. But he's had success against New York. And so I tend to think because jo Joshua Dobbs is not a guy who's going to take chances downfield, because 100% of Zach Ertz's cat passes thrown to him were catchable last week. You know why? All intermediate stuff, short stuff. I'll take Zach Ertz over Dalton Kincaid. Uh, it's close, but I like the veteran. We have just 15 seconds here. Of the 12-3 and three record, how many of your teams have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback? None. I, I, I don't trust the Jets. When it comes to quarterbacks, I didn't want him. Uh, it, it is the most predictable curse in the history of sports. Yeah. I want nothing to do with Jets quarterbacks. I had Rodgers, and I still won, but I'm not going to have a oh, winning season. I've, the quarterbacks are awful of my options. Uh, Michael Fabiano is not 
uh, with anything regarding uh, the visits here of fantasy football. Michael, we enjoy this each week. We appreciate you. Take care, guys. Good luck. Michael underscore Fabiano is where you can follow him for advice. Uh, Same goes for Andy Staples. We preview the top college football games across the country next.